Well, here we are, third Sunday of Advent, and we've been kind of working our way through some uh, routines, some things that are probably a part of all of our Advent Christmas celebrations, some activities. Uh, we've talked about waiting. How many of you have had to wait for something in the last month? Just a few of you. Um, and how many of you are still waiting on something? Yes, yeah. <clears throat> uh, waiting seems to come in droves these days, waiting for all kinds of different things. But also, who have you waited on? That was something we talked about that week. How, how might we use these periods of time, these when we're waiting for something, how might we wait on someone? How might we serve those around us? We also talked about uh, being at the table and uh, we asked the questions, who are you eating with? And last Sunday, uh, many of us had the opportunity to uh, eat with one another out in the parking lot. We had a day like this, and uh, we had some good fellowship outside. Um, thank you for those of you that kind of got your cookies and, and coffee and hot chocolate on your way out. That was a, a great opportunity to support uh, our youth who were uh, raising funds to travel to National Youth Conference in the summer. It was a good day to eat with our, our church family, but also you're going to have lots of opportunities to eat with other folks, and, and, and to, as you sit around the tables, as you prepare for meals, as you uh, enjoy one another's fellowship, these are intimate opportunities to sit with one another, to, to grow in our relationships with one another, and to maybe consider how God is uh, at the table with us, drawing into fellowship and relationship with us. And so those were opportunities uh, to do that. This morning we are talking about traveling. Um, originally I went to entitle the sermon Over the River and Through the Woods, but I thought that's a little long and kind of didn't fit the flow with the other uh, titles. We're talking about traveling. And um, yes, this passage of Scripture actually comes after the birth of Jesus. I, I trust that you'll give me some grace in, in thinking through uh, some of these different travel stories this morning. Uh, but we're going to talk about what it means for us to travel, to journey, and how that might connect with the travel and the, the journeying that Mary, Joseph, and Jesus uh, participated in. As we come this morning, would you pray with me? God, I thank you for these opportunities all around us to, to slow down, to uh, be intentional about the way we move through this season, the way we go about some of these standard practices, to take these opportunities to think about your coming, uh, your being with us, maybe in a different way. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We start with a few questions to get us, get us thinking, get us contemplating this morning. Uh, the first one is, who's going to be traveling over Christmas season? How many of you are going to be traveling? Now, how many of you are going to be traveling 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Some, some of us are going to be traveling short distances. How many of us are going to be traveling hours over this season? 
Yes, some of you have short drives, some of you have very uh, long drives. What kinds of things are you traveling to? I know you've got masks on, but I can hear you through the mask. Family? Some of us are traveling to a cabin. What else are you traveling to? Mostly family. Maybe a concert here and there. Maybe some of you are traveling to see Christmas lights. Maybe some of you are driving for for other reasons. I I know we often tend to think of this traveling kind of in like, you know, going to another state or something like that. But maybe for our our purposes here, just any time you're traveling, journeying in an intentional way here around the Christmas season. Well, who are some of the folks in the Bible around the Christmas story that have to travel? The wise men? Mary and Joseph? Shepherds? We, yeah, we don't even know how far the shepherds traveled. You know, are they close by? Or are they, you know, how far are they journeying? Anybody else that's journeying? All the people who went to pay taxes. We often, you know, like all of my uh, children's Bible stories and everything have Mary and Joseph. Of course, Mary's on a donkey, and they're by themselves. But that is not the story that we are told in Scripture, that everyone was uh, ordered to report to their hometown. So Mary and Joseph as these lone travelers is probably not a very biblically accurate portrayal of their journey. They're going with others. Anyone else that you can think of that's traveling over that time? You hit most of my list. I might add about God's journey to be with humanity. Different kind of journey. Maybe not a physical distance that we can figure out uh, what that looks like, but certainly a, a journey, a movement involved. You know, people travel for very different reasons in these, uh, as we've named people that are traveling, journeying through uh, this Christmas story. Some of them are doing that for very different reasons. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we talked about Mary traveling to visit Elizabeth, probably to escape the stares and the whispers of the neighbors, to find companionship with another woman experiencing a miraculous type of pregnancy. Uh, We have several instances of Mary and Joseph kind of traveling around this. Obviously, the one to Bethlehem uh, to, in obedience to this government mandate that they, they travel so they can be uh, counted and taxed appropriately. But then in our scripture uh, this morning, they're traveling for a very different reason. Again, kind of uh, under threat of, of what's happening around them. Both of Mary and Joseph's journeys are, are forced by the decisions of the government powers around them. Of course, you named the Magi. They travel out of curiosity to explain these these signs that they've uh, observed in the heavens, this this movement uh, that they've they've experienced around them. And there's this uh, journey out of curiosity that they partake in. 
The shepherds travel in obedience to the angel's instructions, again, maybe out of a curiosity and wonder at what's happening around them. So travel has been a part of the Christmas story from the very beginning. Something that's a part of this, all around this story. So why this passage about uh, this escape to Egypt? Why did I, out of all the stories that I could pick about somebody traveling, why this one? Well, I think often we have so kind of uh, tamed down uh, the stories out of Scripture that maybe we miss the, the, the shock of what's happening around the time of Jesus. Like I said, we picture Mary and Joseph on this very serene ride. Um, of course, the donkey is in full cooperation. Uh, never mind that donkeys aren't exactly known for their cooperative spirit or that they even had a donkey for their journey. Um, But we've kind of so domesticated these stories that to hear this story of the slaughter of the innocents that comes following Jesus' birth kind of shocks us. It it doesn't jive with the um, nice Christmas spirit that we all tend to gravitate towards. Kind of smacks us. We often gloss over those moves to Bethlehem. We romanticize the journey. We condense the Magi's journey into a a few years and and we throw them in the manger scene with the the shepherds, never mind that they show up to the house sometime after Jesus' actual birth. We kind of condense all these stories. We we, um, clean them up. We don't have the, the rawness that's really attached to those stories in their original context. So maybe in hearing this passage as a part of our Christmas story, we suddenly catch a glimpse of how precarious life was for God in the flesh, for Jesus and for his family around him. And we get more of a sense of the atmosphere into which Jesus is born. It is not clean, it is not safe, it is not simple, it is complicated and complex, and and Jesus is born into it, moving right into the midst of humanity's dark side. A number of years ago, Katie and I were in Nigeria for a couple of weeks traveling around and one of the places that we got to go visit was a number of IDP camps, uh, internally displaced persons camps. Uh, there's a difference, uh, technically speaking, in a uh, geopolitical realm between a refugee who leaves their country uh, to escape whatever's going on and an IDP, an uh, internally displaced person, who stays within the country. And often uh, refugees kind of get the big press and we hear about them fleeing to different countries, but IDPs, internally displaced people, also are leaving behind their homes, their livelihood, uh, their, their farms, and they are going to a very different place. They're thrown into all kinds of different housing situations that are, are meant to be temporary places uh, to collect these people that are fleeing from violence and, and all the stuff that's going on around them. And often these IDP camps turn into long-term places to dwell. 
They're forced to often find new ways of of finding income and and food and, and all of that stuff. People forced to leave behind the life they knew their livelihoods, their careers. And I was reading a, a Christianity Today article um, on Jesus and, and Joseph's occupation that uh, we, we often call Jesus the carpenter. Probably in the original context, Jesus is, uh, Joseph was some kind of builder, kind of general construction, probably worked primarily in stone because there's not a lot of wood readily available around uh, Palestine. And so Joseph would probably worked more with, with stone. And, and part of how we might see that out and uh, played out in Jesus' ministry is he makes far more um, uh, analogies that have to do with stone, uh, cornerstone, the, the stone that the builders rejected, um, talks about the wise men and the foolish men and how they, they build their homes, um, probably out of stone and, and things that were actually available. But all of that gets left behind when Joseph has to travel to Bethlehem and then has to flee to Egypt. Their livelihood, the things that they surrounded themselves with, whatever kind of home Joseph had probably spent some time preparing to, for Mary and his, his, his new child is left behind. They have to flee. They have to run. So as I was thinking about this story, contemplating this story for myself this week, I was realizing that from birth, Jesus is related through proximity and experience with the outcasts and with the refugees in our world. Our group in Nigeria went to these IDP camps to meet people, to spend time with kids, uh, maybe to lead some songs and, and share the love of Jesus But what I'm realizing is that Jesus was already in those camps. Jesus was already there with them. If we'd open our eyes, we might see Jesus already there. Recently, we've had Afghan refugees coming into Lancaster, refugees from other places in the world, and sometimes we think we need to take Jesus to them, but maybe Jesus is with them already, and you and I need to go and find Jesus with the least of these sisters and brothers of Jesus. So suddenly our travel and Christmas journeying begins to take on some different tones and forces me to contemplate my own Christmas journey in a very different way. Years ago when we moved to Pennsylvania, our our Christmas journey involved uh, traveling back to Ohio to see uh, friends and relatives. And so our Christmas tradition became Christmas morning, waking up, piling into the conversion van, and spending six hours driving to Ohio. We'd usually get there in time for uh, a one o'clock Christmas dinner. We'd pile into the van, and you know, we'd we'd fall asleep, and Dad would drive the you know six hours. We typically spent that week at one of my aunt's homes. And as I was uh, going through my sermon notes this morning, 
It was really only today that, I, that it dawned on me that I was spending Christmas in someone else's home, journeying and traveling and kind of living as a, a guest for a time. Not unlike Mary and Joseph ha- being forced to, to travel and, and journey and getting to the guest room and finding there's, there's no actual room left for them. In college, I was in Ohio uh, for, for school, and I would travel back to Pennsylvania at the end of the semester and back to Ohio for the Christmas celebrations and come back to Pennsylvania and then go back to school. And so it was just this back and forth, the, the whole Christmas break, just five hours here, six hours back, you know, back and forth. All that, that journeying, lots of time for contemplation in the vehicle through this time, or else praying my car wouldn't break down. That was also a lot of what filled my time in in those journeys. But also, as I was thinking about it this morning, missed opportunities just to, to connect with this story in a very different way. To think about my own spiritual journey and and how I'm either walking towards Jesus or sometimes, to be honest, walking away. How might our traveling, our journeying through this season be opportunities for us to think very intentionally about how we are traveling, journeying towards Jesus or away from Jesus? Or about the the traveling that others have to partake in, maybe because they're forced to around the world? Why do we travel? Do we travel by choice to see friends and family, to go back home maybe? Our family did that. Again, only this morning did I really think about how this connects to Mary and Joseph's journey of going back to Joseph's hometown. Now I'm thinking I missed hours of contemplation time. Some of us travel by choice. Maybe you travel because of family obligation. That's relatively harmless in most of our situations. What about those who travel, whose travel is not because of their own choices? The refugees, the displaced persons in our world. What about those on a very tough road in their journey, be that physical, emotional, or spiritual? And where is God in the midst of our travel? Are we journeying toward Jesus or away? You know, in this story of the escape to Egypt, Jesus enters fully into some pretty raw parts of of the human story. It's not the clean, sanitized, manger scene we often picture. Jesus enters into the muck and the mire. Automatically thrown into the mix of this political wrangling for power. Forced to flee with the least of these. Forced to run and hide. He steps into the shoes of the refugees and the displaced persons. 
into the precarious nature of fleeing your home, leaving behind house, occupation, family, and friends. He enters into the worst. But also, in fleeing to Egypt, Jesus enters into uh, the deeper Israelite story. Back in the story in Genesis, where there's another Joseph. And because of a famine... Joseph travels to Egypt to flee that disaster, to to go and to to initially find security in the the, the, uh, preserves that uh, his son, Joseph, had secured. So Jacob takes his family and they go to Egypt. Of course, Egypt ends up turning on the Israelites. There's another slaughter of the innocents when Pharaoh orders the Israelite babies drowned. The Israelites are called up out of Egypt and eventually into the promised land. So in this story that we read this morning, Jesus is reenacting that story, entering into the shoes of the Jewish people. And Matthew wants his readers to hear the echoes of Jacob and to see God in Jesus entering fully into the Israelite story. So some questions for us to think about, to contemplate during this time. Where are you going over this Christmas season? And I don't just mean where are you driving to. Are you traveling by choice? Are you traveling because it's a requirement? Is your primary journey physical, emotional, or spiritual? How does your own traveling connect or remind you or call you to think about Jesus' journey in a very different way this year? Do you recognize the presence of Jesus with you as you travel? You know, when I was a little kid and we would take these road trips either to grandpa and grandma's house or then as we got older and we'd be driving from Pennsylvania back to Ohio... We'd pile into the vehicle, and right before we left, Mom and Dad would stop, and we would, we would pray for our, for our journey that we were about to, to take. And what did you always call that? You asked for something. At least in, in my church tradition, we always asked for traveling mercies. I don't know where that phrase came up, but it was always thrown out. You know, whenever we were going to travel, we'd ask for traveling mercies. Um, many of us are going on very different kinds of journeys over this season. Might be traveling hours to visit relatives. Might be hard times without a loved one for the first time. Might be some kind of spiritual journey that you're uh, wrestling with going on right now. Maybe you feel like you're wandering without knowing where the destination is. This morning I want to pray for all of us and ask for traveling mercies for all of us as we partake in whatever kind of journey we're on this season. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you that you come 
that you came before you entered into the mire, the muck. You entered into the very vulnerable situation that you have walked in the shoes of the refugee, uh, of, of the displaced people. We thank you that you continue to enter into our journeys, into our traveling, whether that is physical, emotional, spiritual. And so we ask for traveling mercies. That as we drive to visit friends and family, as we drive to share meals, as we we drive to celebrate Christmas, as we uh, go through our spiritual and emotional wrestling and, and journeying, we ask that you would be with us. And I ask that you would open our eyes to how your spirit is moving with us. I ask that you would protect, that you would surround, that you would hold each of us in your hands as we travel, as we journey. God, if we are far from you, if we we sense this distance from you, I pray that you would help us move back to travel, to journey towards you. To walk more and more in step with who you are and who you're calling us to be. God, surround us as we travel in this time. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.